Hello and welcome to the Social World Podcast. I'm Dave Niven and it's good to be back again. This podcast is a bit of a mixture, a magazine. Um, At the beginning I'm going to play you an interview I did with the BBC in Wales to do with a report from uh, Europe um, concerning missing children. Now the premise of that particular study was that after children have been publicised very widely the details of photographs and descriptions and so forth during a, a search for them when they've gone missing if they do indeed turn up successfully afterwards and go on to carry on with their childhood and their lives the report suggests that we ought to be pressurizing the um, platforms the, the googles of this world the facebooks the instagram and so forth that to re- need to remove these children's details because it embarrasses them at the very least later on in life. It points fingers at them and in some cases they're found to have been severely bullied because of the identification of them in the media. I felt personally it was an enormously difficult thing to do apart from, apart from to try and interrupt after all what is people's desperation to find their child. And eventually it will be spread all over social media and there's just no way sometimes of putting the genie back in the bottle. So that was an interesting point there, an interesting interview. And I'd be very interested to hear what you all think out there about it because it's one of these things for me that's kind of 50-50. You can't deny people the opportunity to do anything to find a child And at the same time, we all know that we don't like children identified if they've been in a traumatic situation, whether that's they've been abused or whether in this case they've been missing or whatever. It's it's something that you don't want children to have to live with because it's unfair on them and they haven't made the decisions for themselves. The main interview of this podcast is with Dave Benn. Now, This is one in the series of the Bradford interviews, uh, Bradford Safeguarding Board, and Dave is the voluntary sector representative on the board, and so it's pretty good to get his views on um, their position, where he stands, what he feels, and it's good also to have um, some input from time to time on a non-statutory basis. So there we are. Apart from the extremely sad story that I read in the newspaper the other day, uh, a poignant, um, a metaphor for our times, if you like, and without going into too much detail, the, the, you can think about it for yourselves, it was that this young couple had a child, had a baby who died, and they went and they buried it themselves because they, couldn't, they didn't think that they could afford a proper funeral. And I just felt hugely sad for that couple, obviously for the baby, but a sign of the times, austerity, or just punishing the poor again. It makes you wonder. Anyway, without further ado, let's get on with the podcast and uh, thanks for listening. Well, let's speak to David Niven, who's a child protection expert. Good morning to you. Good morning. Has much research been done in this area then in terms of the impact that publicity might have on on a missing child after the event? 
Not in this country that I'm aware of. Um, the, there is, there are places, you know, centres for study of missing children and events like that at one of the universities and so forth. But um, I don't think there's any comprehensive work been done. I mean, there's always the overriding kind of um, thing that are sent out that we don't want to identify children if they've been in part of a traumatic event or they're actually being in the news for the wrong reasons. Um, that's a kind of a given and the media does respect that. But social media, to be quite frank, is, is um, has a mind of its own sometimes. And you can totally understand the desperation sometimes of families. If a child's missing, they'll just use social media now because it's a platform available to everybody and they'll just blast out all the details they possibly can in their desperation to find the child. Yeah, and I suppose in those first few frantic hours of someone going missing, you know, social media can can be a positive thing because you can get the message out there much more quickly. You know, these these things often get you know hundreds of thousands in some cases of of shares, and you want to that as an instinct as a parent, I suppose that that's exactly what you want at that that moment in time. Well, that's it, and and that's our dilemma because on one hand, you know, you can totally understand that. Uh, you know, you would probably everybody listening would probably do it for their own child. But at the same time, you don't actually then sit down and think, well, what about once we find the child, what impact is this going to have on them? I don't think that really crosses people's minds in that sort of desperate few sort of days or weeks or ever, you know, at the beginning of somebody being missing. Yeah, and it's something other countries are looking at, isn't it? Because in Belgium, they, they've got a missing child hotline, um, child focus, and that that children can contact that that helpline and and basically get, I think, a lot of things kind of erased on the internet. They that that right to be forgotten then. No, that that I, um, I I like the idea of that, and I like the idea of some sort of central place that that people can go to that that, that the authorities have got some degree of control over, that advice can be given. And if you like, it can be as discreet as possible. The only difficulty, of course, is that once these days we know that something is out on social media, it's like trying to catch the wind uh, yeah. in terms of putting it back or in terms of taking information back again. So education, absolutely, in terms of uh, what impact these things could have later on. Um, support from the authorities by way of some kind of discrete focus or discrete place that, that, that parents or families or others can go to and have a lot of support at the same time as getting best advice about what the future might hold when the child's found. But more than that, I, I mean, social media platforms, I think, have got a role to play here too in making it easier to remove information um, if the proper requests come through from the proper authorities and, and people who know what they're talking about. It's a very, very difficult subject. It's a conundrum. I mean, nobody wants anything um, prevented that would help find a missing child. At the same time, is the same as a child who's been abused and hits the headlines or whatever. You want them to be anonymized for the rest of their life because that's not something they want to live with. Thank you very much for speaking to us this morning. Child protection expert David Niven there. Okay, well, welcome to the Social World podcast. And um, today we're venturing into the voluntary sector. I'm delighted to be joined by Dave Benn, who uh, is on the Bradford Safeguarding Children Board um, as a full member and, and a very prominent representation of the voluntary and community sector. And he chairs the service subgroup for the voluntary and community sector <laughs> as well. 
What a mouthful. Okay, well, welcome, Dave. Thank you, David, and thank you for inviting me to this podcast. Okay, well, you're also a service manager for Bernardo's. I mean, so essentially, you've got quite a bit of experience um, um, tucked under your belt. So, look, tell us just a little bit, would you, about your own pathway here, how you actually, uh, what, what your career's been so far, just mm-hmm. to give people a context. Okay, so my, my background uh, is reasonably varied, actually, and, and in terms of... Um, Coming to Bradford, it was really um, directed by education and further education. But prior to that, I worked in a number of settings, mainly within youth work. Um, and I've got experience of working in outdoor education in, in Scotland and in the Lake District. Um, that led me on to a sort of uh, a path of thinking I need to get qualified and it would be helpful to get qualified within a youth work environment. I went to college in Bradford and that's uh, and I've remained here ever since to be honest uh, I've worked across the districts but it was youth work that first brought me here since joining Bernardas and organizations I've since become qualified as a um, social worker uh, because of the nature of the work that we were undertaking and the management role that I've since adopted in terms of that uh, I've been in Bradford now um, managing a cluster of services for over 10 years um, and I've been actually involved in the board in terms of what was the old ACPC uh, and it's moved towards a local safeguarding children board. Um, I was actually part of that transition arrangement. So I've been with the board and it feels a long time now. So it's over 10 years in terms of my role. Um, and so it's combined the role as a, as a service manager. I'm, I'm, I feel I've got a reasonable and a very hands-on approach to my understanding of the key issues in relation to uh, working with young people in the district. I'm very proud of the services that we deliver uh, and I'm very proud of the sector as a whole uh, in relation to uh, the role we play and um, the nature of the work we deliver. Okay, well, I'm not going to make the joke about what you do in the afternoons, but um, essentially the voluntary sector, I mean, it is one of the pillars of support networks, you know, within any community. Mm. And its ability to form partnerships and be part of a collective, Mm. I think, is pretty crucial. Mm. No matter where we go, where we see good work, we do see it done in partnership. Mm. I mean, do you want to just talk a little bit about what your experience has been of that Mm. over over the years in the Bradford area? Yeah, I mean, Bradford's got a long um, and rich history in relation to its VCS and... um, uh, commitment to um, social inclusion and the provision of services. Um, we've got an, a large and significant number of organisations which play a vital role, as you say. In terms of representation on the board and my role in relation to that, I'm, um, I actually, whilst I work for Bernardo's, I'm clearly uh, a representative of Young Lives Bradford, which is an infrastructure organisation in the local district, uh, which has got over 300 organisations which are registered with it. Um, well, all youth work uh, or all youth-related organisations and childcare. That's Young Lives yeah, Bradford. Yeah, it's Young Lives yeah. Bradford. Yeah. Um, and so that, that acts in terms of infrastructure, support, coordinating and partnership arrangements in relation to pooling information, but also giving voice and representation to that group of, uh, of organisations. And within that, there are large national organisations, uh, you know, Bernardo's, uh, Action for Children, others. There's, there's smaller regional organisations, uh, and uh, significantly, there are very small organisations which are represented in uh, at, a re- at a district level, but also 
Mm. potentially at a sort of regional, uh, sorry, at a, a, a district level, a community-based level. Okay, so that so, might be yeah. large numbers of staff or it might be a two-man band that are um, uh, delivering services. So that's the incredibly diverse structure in terms of the voluntary and the community sector, which we know exists. But Young Lives Bradford is obviously quite a, a cohesive kind of group in terms of actually sort of peer support and so on. But yeah. We've, we've heard about the systems. Why don't you tell us just one or two examples of success stories that you feel that that, that, that structure, that partnership has delivered? Yeah, so uh, I think you're right in terms of partnership and peer support. I think the VCS is unique in some ways in relation to our partnership on the board in that it's made up a number of organisations which are you know, uh, have their own identity, their own infrastructure and, and governance arrangements, but we come together in terms of pooling those resources, but also offering support to each other. I think in terms of success in relation to that, uh, one, I think we've got representation on the board, and I think that's a big success, and I think it's to the credit of the board and the partnership arrangements locally that that's the case. Mm. I think there's a coherence in relation to the way that we manage information going up and down into the sector in terms of, I obviously represent the board at main board meetings, but there are other activities going on elsewhere which I think are very successful. We've got you know, representation on each of the subgroups, or well, the majority of the subgroups, not all, but the majority of the subgroups within the board. And that's a lot of work gets done within those subgroups. Let's just of... say a little bit about what they are, because obviously there's a lot of listeners who aren't, totally intimate with the exact structures yeah so the in terms of the structure of the board what, in terms of the subgroups so there's a number of different subgroups which will take on either um standing um business of the board or we remain as task finish and I'll give you one example um the cse um task group that's child sexual exploitation which has been which is a relatively new group i think and uh we've now got um representation on that which in some ways represents some of the work that's been going on in Bradford in terms of how we're supporting the hub, the work, the preventative work in relation to CSE. Um, recently there's um, uh, a report has been issued by a range of organisations, including Bernardo's, but including Children's Society, Build, etc., uh, called Over-Protected, um, Under-Protected, Over-Protected, in terms of CSE and, learn and young people with learning disabilities. Um, uh, one of one of the VCS organisations uh, members of staff is now leading a piece of work, task finished piece of work in relation to that in terms of profiling that work. Whilst there isn't a lot of resources to undertake a great deal of work in relation to that in terms of um, knowledge and uh, skills in relation to the sector, there are a number of briefings which are planned. So hopefully that will, you know, that translates that national agenda which the VCS can bring in terms of knowledge base and knowledge um, into a much more local perspective and um, will enable staff to be better skilled in terms of understanding those key issues. Can I just tease that out for a second here? I mean, because my understanding is, and I suspect people listening would think, you've got a range of voluntary organisations, many of whom would touch on in one form or another the issues to do with child sexual exploitation that you mentioned. And they would be scattered throughout the community mm. doing different things. Now, I, I'm, I'm suspecting some of them are to do with awareness raising, mm. some of them to do with information sharing, mm. some direct work with young people, mm. 
and others possibly um, in some form of social media mm -hmm. or whatever in terms of awareness, as I said. Mm -hmm. But also some would be dealing possibly with survivors and victims mm -hmm. of um, exploitation mm -hmm. And others would be out there, if you like, pointing out how to recognise people at risk. Mm -hmm. So is that a fair idea of the range of work going on in Bradford? Because, yeah. I mean, the voluntary sector is huge. It is. It's massive. And as you said, I think you're right. There'll be some people that are doing direct work in relation to that. And I can think of, you know, the hub in terms of the hub that exists. There are voluntary and community sector organisations involved in that work doing preventative roles. For example, the nighttime economy staff um, is a voluntary, um, a voluntary and community sector member of staff that, that really um, has made a, a significant impact in terms of awareness raising right across a, a number of agencies. This, this is like fast food outlets at midnight, yeah. taxi drivers taxi and so drivers. forth. The way that we have all the agencies and, and, you know, as I said, with the voluntary sector component to it as well, have actually been in there to educate and influence mm -hmm. and and if you like, um, raise the awareness mm. of all the people that work in these industries about helping prevent young people get sucked into grooming, get taken over by gangs and get, you know, just totally fooled into virtually losing their childhood. Mm. That is that's what you're talking about. It, it? is. And yeah. it's the impact of that. In, and where a member of staff, for example, in a taxi firm, in a taxi rank, in working in isolation late at night has never been exposed to um potentially what they might be able to do it's not that they don't want to do anything and they don't recognize risks necessarily but it's about enabling people who work in reasonably isolated positions about thinking what can i do that doesn't seem right who should i contact and how can i share intelligence about what's going on in relation to the the lives of young people mm. vulnerable young people Okay, well, why don't we stick with the young people for a sec? Because I know another one of your particular passions, and if you like, you know, if you like, a rolling initiative, is the participation of young people in not only in designing kind of um, work and designing initiatives, but also being able to be there to to put their opinion, if you like, into the hat. Um, the the safeguarding board at the moment is looking to improve the voice of the child, the voice of the young person. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm certain you're going to be one of the people that we're going to be talking to mm -hmm. about how to construct something mm -hmm. better mm -hmm. now. What kind of thoughts and ideas would you have about that? I think in relation to the way that... I mean, the first principle we need to look at that without the voice, including the voice of children, young people, their parents and carers, and a wide range of, of community voices then I don't think we can have an effective framework in relation to safeguarding. I think we've made a number of strides in relation to that as a board over the years. I think we've got further to go. I think um, more recently in terms of the work that the local authority and partners have done in terms of engaging with young people and putting a framework around that has made significant improvements in terms of trying to get um, a whole range of young people's voices included in certain forum. You know, there's good examples of that. And I might, you know, if you can use the recent example of Takeover Day, which I think is an excellent uh, example of a commitment across the district, across partnerships, to include and promote the voice and involvement of young people within well, see, services. Say a bit about it, because okay, this so, has already happened. Yeah, yeah. it's happened. It happened on November the 18th, or was it? Yes, it was the 18th. 
Um, and it's an initiative, it's a national initiative uh, by the Children's Commissioner, uh, led by the Children's Commission. And it's something that, as a district, we've, we've looked at before and been reasonably successful with in pockets, I believe, you know, in terms of reasonable isolation. This year, I think there's been a number of strides in terms of improvements about how that's been rolled out. There's a number of schools which have been involved, which is absolutely excellent. There's been local authorities, there's been uh, health have been heavily involved in that, which is a really exciting development because health are really interested in getting involved, yeah. young people involved in that process. So say a little bit about what it involves, would you? Well, it involves young people effectively being matched with professionals. Um, so a young person, so it's again a pool of young people, it's getting a pool of professionals, joining them together um, in a role for the day. Uh, that included myself, so I had a young person who I, you know, went to a range of meetings and did a number of things. On a far more exciting level, young people have been involved in, uh, for example, working with staff on a maternity ward. There's a really excellent example of the local authority social work team. Whilst considering the duty of care towards confidentiality and everything else mm. which exists within that environment. But they did some role play with young people, which is fantastic, and they got a real sense of what what a social worker and social work department might do, what their views in relation to that, and how they might feed into that process. It was an eye-opener, I think, for both sets of people, um, whether at the most senior levels or, you know, at, at a middle manager's or a, a face-to-face worker in terms of the influencing role of young people. And I think it's that legacy that we can use in terms of thinking how do we get and how do we involve young people in the working of the board or in terms of uh, their role in terms of influencing that. That was uh, very successful and it's, again, it's it's something that's been repeated. Um, Initiative, awareness raising, both sides get to understand a little bit more and so on, but... You'll be aware that all over the country there are so many different types of initiatives to include young people in. That We've had youth parliaments, we've had shadow boards, Mm -hmm. we've had um, individual young people coming and sitting on the board. Um, Here we're more favouring possibly um, a young person's forum that can advise the board Mm -hmm. and, and kind of digest issues and then go back to the board with their ideas about mm. them. But, I mean, uh, are there other models that you've come across? Because I, I think we all want to be particularly contemporary <laughs> and make it useful and interesting for the young people rather than just a sort of a mirror of kind of adult meetings. Yeah, and I think that's one of the risks in relation to that. And that young, you know, from my experience and the experience of the work and organisations that work with young people, I think that would mirror what, what young people would say. Mm. You know, that the fact that if they're just expected to go along to meetings, not necessarily involved in a way that's meaningful, um, then they're unlikely to take part and, and want to take part in future issues. I think in terms of that, I think in, in relation to what you said before about uh, 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 sort of mirroring some of the work or involving young people in task finish, I think task finish groups in particular are really helpful in relation to focusing and getting a broad church of young people because that's going to involve a number of people, you know, in terms of different aspects that that are meaningful for them. Uh, Online bullying is a big issue, we know that, in terms of what young people are telling us. You know, know, how do we capture the rich source of data that young people have got in terms of not only what they experience, but what some of the solutions might be Mm. in terms of that. I can think of, you know, and we've used that experience recently in terms of uh, work with the CCG. That's um, the... 
community, the, the commissioning group from yeah, the health the, service. That's yeah. the commissioning yeah. groups within the health yeah. service in terms of, of developing re online resources which young people can access. Yeah. Um, you know, the Thrive Bradford website is a, uh, is, a, is a resource which has been developed by young people using social media, um, which, which has a number of uh, resources which people, young people can access, um, in, including advice about bullying, but are in relation to emotional mental health. Um, and, and that's provided a really effective platform for young people's voice to actually be integrated into service design. And I think that's where the exciting steps are in relation to that. You said we did, I think is an exciting principle. And I think it's something that should guide the board in terms of you said we the future did. direction. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. you know, young people are saying, look, this is what we're saying. And I know we've done online bullying. And I, the board has, has reacted positively in relation to that in terms of bullying. I know that because there's been... You know conferences and we're following up work with that it's a high priority in terms of young people's emotional mental health i think it should be seen yeah. as a high priority well i mean let me talk to you a little bit about what today is bringing if you like you know the, the issues of the day if you like i mean partly obviously just as a sort of final point on on, on what you were saying there the board is improving its website and therefore mm. its online presence and i definitely want to have a strong youth component mm. to that but in terms of um, the voluntary and community sector, so many sports clubs and recreational outlets for young people are now once again under the spotlight. Mm -hmm. um, have you picked up um, a sense of how the community is feeling about this or what possible things could happen to kind of uh, inform people better mm. and actually get a, a sense in Bradford about what's happening. Mm. I think that's a really interesting point because clearly it is a really high profile issue at the moment in terms of uh, local media reporting, national media reporting. In terms of a sense locally, I don't pick up a sense that there's a specific issues in relation to mm. local sports facilities other than we know that there's a growing awareness for the need to have robust, we know there's a need for a robust framework to be in place in relation to the protection of children and young people that, that access service and safeguard their, um, their needs. We know that in terms of our role within um, Young Lives Bradford, I think that's a next step in terms of, a, uh, in terms of the self-challenge in relation to that, in terms of saying we've got a broad church in, uh, of a number of organisations that we, we know that there are robust safeguarding framework arrangements in place across a whole range of organisations. We know that because they report that as part of the commission arrangements, including the Section 11 requirements in terms of um, uh, or self auditing and reporting back as part That's of commission arrangements. Section eleven of the children, children Act. Act. In That's terms right. of it, every agency has to report back every year about yeah. what they've been doing yeah. and what the priorities are and so issues and so forth. And just now, for for those of you who are not in the UK. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry about that. Um, uh, however. In terms of how then do we uh, move that forward in terms of engaging a broader range of organisations in terms of that auditing process, I think it's going to be uh, an interesting 
process and one that we need to ch- uh, we need to um, look at and to engage a wider range of organisations within okay. that. Well, how many, Young Lives Bradford, right? You said there's a very large number of affiliated groups yeah. to that. I mean, are there many? I mean, I know you might not know exact numbers, but sports and and, and recreational there clubs are a number, in, in there. Um, but yeah. there, there a number will, you know, the governing bodies of of sport will, you know, have their own affiliations and their own memberships in terms of that. Uh, there are a number of sports organisations, but I mean it's difficult to say that the total number out of the three hundred at the moment. I can't give you a precise figure. However, um, I think in terms of that broad approach to saying, look, we know because it, we we understand, don't we, in terms of safeguarding. I think there's you know the growing realisation for the need within action right across partnerships in terms of wherever young people congregate, then. Um, there will unfortunately be a small number of adults who will wish to harm children, and that's something we need to look at in mm-hmm. terms of how do we how do we ensure the, the most robust framework we can put in place in terms of that, and it's about education, support, and also partnerships in terms of that, and about you know, and the board plays a full role in relation to that in terms of engaging in that process, and it. You know, I see that's why Young Lives Bradford, in terms of the work of the board and the work in terms of safeguarding, plays such a pivotal role in relation to that. Okay. Let me ask you this then, because um, would it be useful, do you think, if the board put on some kind of an event for these all these sports, kind of uh, the associations, mm-hmm. if you like, to mm-hmm. come together mm-hmm. and other key people mm-hmm. to just reflect as much as anything on what's available in terms of help in Mm. terms of support what key messages we need to reinforce Mm. because obviously some will have done some recent work others will have been many years since they did any child Mm. protection Mm. training Mm. Um, and one thing that's always struck me is to remind people that there's two sides to child protection Mm. and and I mean, for example, yes, there's the making sure that the adults working with young people are as safe as we can tell. But on the other side, they, all these adults, and many of them in sports clubs and so forth, are heroes to the young people. Mm-hmm. And they're more than likely to be people that young people might choose to disclose to. Mm-hmm. And how they deal with that, mm. how they're prepared for mm. that, how they're trained, if you like, mm. to be able to deal with that young person's disclosure as, as professionally as possible, to me, always gets lost a bit because the idea of just making sure that they're safe people seems to dominate. Mm. Would you agree that that's no, something? No, I, I agree with that sentiment. And I think, and I agree strongly with that. And I think that's where there needs to be the further towards the, the, the front end in terms of service delivery. I, you know, those people who are in, actually involved and engaged with young people, and a significant numbers of young people on a day to day basis, on an evening, you know, at night, volunteers working with young people, where young people build relationships, you're quite right. And they build relationships and they will disclose information. And it's almost that it's those workers and those staff and volunteers that need to be almost the best equipped yeah. within the sector, you know, across a whole range of workforce. I'm not saying they exclusively need to be have specialist training, but they need to be upskilled in terms of and, and supported in the way that they have their own knowledge about what they do with the information, how comfortable they're sharing information and about having the confidence to work within their organisation, have their voices heard. I think strongly in terms of organisations where 
to, to have safe organisations, we need transparent organisations and we need to have uh, a light shined in relation to all the corners of clubs where where we work. So there's no, you know, there's no ambiguity in terms of the work we're doing. We're not putting barriers in place. We're not putting extra work. We're not putting, we're not stopping the good work that people do. We're trying to support people and we're trying to enable the good work that takes place. Um, and I think in terms of that, I think there's a good, um, there's a good, case for further work in terms of raising the profile okay. engaging the board with those frontline organizations whether it be sport organizations or uh, heritage and culture or uniform anybody any work that takes place across the vcs i think is helpful from the board okay. it builds on previous work that we've done a number of years ago <clears throat> um just after um the transition from ac's uh, pc area child protection committee to local safeguarding children boards um, under the two, under the Children mm. Act, um, and uh, in terms of awareness raising, that was that was reasonably successful okay. in terms of putting the message out, saying we're listening to you, we want to engage with you. It's a two. It's raising the profile of the board, and I think there's a real um, need to increase the level of awareness of the board and its workings okay. right across the board, from young people to to organisations themselves. Okay, Dave. Well, we're coming to the end of the interview, but I'd just like to ask you as a sort of final question and use it as a platform, whatever. Imagine that there are and there probably are one or two people listening who uh, would be considering volunteering, mm -hmm. would be considering kind of, um, if you like, joining your world. Mm -hmm. um, what advice would you give them and, and what um, would you say are the rewards that, mm -hmm. that can be expected? Mm -hmm. I know it's long, hard work sometimes and I know there are other, all sorts of other kind of challenges. However, mm -hmm. it is rewarding. And I, and I wonder if you'd say a little bit about yeah. it just briefly. It is rewarding. There are a number of roles people can get into. It can be a platform for... it can be, For some people, it can be a life-changing event in terms of uh, career progression about young people. Young people volunteer. They find out um, in terms of their, um, their sense of themselves, where they want to go potentially in the future. Adults become involved. Our adults can become involved in a whole range of volunteering opportunities with children and young people, which are immensely rewarding. Some of it's attached to their own interests in terms of their own sport or wherever and they want to give something back it, it provides an ideal opportunity but it can be a transformatory uh, opportunity for the volunteer themselves but particularly children and young people who um, are supported by adults who provide appropriate role models who can enable and support who can guide and who can better protect them as well okay. for the future but both now and for the future let me just ask you to reassure people quickly I uh, did a radio interview this morning with BBC in London and um, because there seems to be a real problem in London about um, the length of time that DBS checks are mm -hmm. taking to come mm -hmm. through mm -hmm. and some people are even um, losing the opportunities of employment because of the, mm -hmm. the Met Police mm -hmm. particularly I mean they say they have to they would have it done within two months tops mm -hmm. but that's taking much much longer mm -hmm. in many cases and mm -hmm. there's quite a backlog mm -hmm. Is, your, is it a different experience in Bradford? I, I, I'm pretty sure it is, but I just want you to say so and reassure mm. people that they're not going to be having to wait a long no, time. No, my, my experience is that, isn't it? It's interesting you've, you've said that. Um, our experience in relation to Turner and DBS around has, has been a lot quicker in relation to that. Sorry, that's the disclosure Sorry. and barring service. That was my fault. Um, where the police checks are done on people before they're allowed to work with children or vulnerable adults. Mm. 
and and you, you know that that forms one part of a process of recruitment and uh, you know retention of staff in terms of an interview but also it needn't be a cumbersome and long process and that's not necessarily our experience of that in terms of locally it's interesting to hear what other happening in other parts of the country um but that shouldn't put volunteers off uh, it should you know if you're volunteering you should feel reassured that by the fact that you're being recruited inducted and trained as part of a a, a, a process that you'll have the skills uh, and you can bring your own um, skills in relation to supporting young people appropriately Dave Ben thank you very much for your time thank you